You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Hey, hey Molly, if octopuses dressed their tentacles, do you think they'd wear pants legs or like sleeves? I think they'd wear an octoglove. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Hey, is anybody expecting a fax? It's 2018, Mark. No one is expecting a fax. Well, this old fax machine here is totally faxing up a fresh new fax. What does it say? Dear Brains On, uh, we love your show. Thank you. Heard you ask people what they'd serve aliens for dinner. Sounds good. On our way over. Signed, The Aliens? The Aliens? They're coming? When? Oh, oh, hang on. There's a P.S. We're coming in 30 Targlasecs. 40 if there's space traffic. Space traffic? How long is a Targlasec? PPS. It says a Targlasec is about a minute. Okay, wait. Aliens are legit coming over for dinner? Yeah, in 30 Targlosecs. That's like a half hour. This is big. This is real big. Okay, uh, we need to call NASA. We need to invite world leaders. We need to invite the United Nations, uh, the media, Beyonce. We do not have enough play settings for NASA and all the world leaders. Okay, just Beyonce then. Maybe we should keep this between us for now. We, we don't want to scare the aliens. Or Beyonce could just have my plate. Or we could share a plate. That's ridiculous. Or is it? Okay, let's focus. We have 30 minutes to make a meal worthy of intergalactic guests. Mark, you set the table. I'm on it. Sandin, you clean up the dining room. Last I checked, it was still covered in spare robot parts. Got it. I am going to find a recipe. Time to get cooking. Chill, chop, mix, heat, reverse the order, then repeat. Eat, mix, chop, chill, the recipe for every meal. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media, and today we're talking aliens. Specifically, if aliens came to Earth, what food should we serve them? We've gotten a lot of great suggestions. If I fed aliens a dish, I would feed them Brussels sprouts because they might look like the same things as us. I would feed the aliens a taco platter because they could have all sorts of things. Just think of it. There will be all the vegetables like lettuce, onions, tomatoes, avocados, and peppers. Then you would have all that meat. I would feed an alien a banana because they're very healthy, and I think their radioactivity would give them extra strength. I would feed an alien zucchini because it is the color of most aliens, and it is healthy. I would feed um, aliens green beans because they are green, and aliens are green. I would serve them homemade minestrone soup because I think it's really delicious and it has carbs and vegetables and everything to make you strong and healthy. And if you put in beans, it also has protein. I would give them Cheerios because they look like alien spaceships. I would feed an alien pizza because every country has dough, tomato, cheese, and a heat source to bake the pizza. So many excellent ideas. That was Gabriel, Anna, Abel, Noah, Tristan, Bella, Batsheva, and Preston. 
Since this is part five in our team up with America's Test Kitchen, I should check with them too. They've helped us explain the science of heating, chilling, chopping, and mixing, and I bet they could help here too. Hi, you've reached America's Test Kitchen. We test recipes in gear so you don't have to. Hey, is this Katie Laird and Molly Birnbaum? It's Molly Bloom from Brains On. Yes, it's us. Hey, other Molly. What's up? I need some help. I need a recipe for a guaranteed crowd pleaser of a meal. We've got some really important guests coming over. Is it Beyonce? Sadly, no. Is it aliens? Um... Say no more. We've got you covered. We're going to search through our database of millions of five-star recipes and... Aha! Perfect! A killer beef and broccoli stir-fry. This is a great recipe because it is super quick. It comes together in minutes, which is important because you want to be able to concentrate on your dinner guests, I'm guessing. Yeah. Plus, it's great for skilled chefs and beginners alike. There's plenty to chop. There's plenty to mix together. It also has really bright and fun flavors, so it's super delicious with hoisin and chili garlic sauce, and it's easy to prep. It's a perfect meal. This sounds really excellent, and fortunately, there's beef and broccoli in Toby. Toby? That's our fridge. It's a long story. Never mind. Cool. We'll fax you over the recipe. Fax us? Okay. It's on its way. Is faxing cool again? You know, since this is such a straightforward recipe, I bet that your listeners could actually cook along. Just have them gather all the ingredients and then head to the kitchen with an adult. It should only take about 30 targlosecs. Wait, you know what a targlosec is? Uh, No, no time to get into that now. You guys are lifesavers. Thank you so much, Katie and Molly. Our pleasure. Good luck with your meal, other Molly. As our friends at America's Test Kitchen mentioned, this celestial stir-fry is perfect for chefs of all ages. We actually have the recipe on our website, brainson.org, if you want to cook along. And we're going to start cooking, so if you want to join us, pause now, get the recipe, and gather the ingredients. Make sure an adult is helping out. Then unpause and follow along. Sandin, the recipe's here. Coming. I've got to host the show. Can you get the meal going? Of course. This this is perfect. I'll try out our new artificially intelligent voice assistant, Harvey. <clears throat> Harvey, scan the recipe, please. Scanning recipe. Harvey, will you please read the instructions to me as we go? I hate having to look at recipes while I cook, so I've taught Harvey to read them to me and anticipate my every move. Right, Harvey? Right, Sandin. I knew you were going to ask that. I anticipate Everything. So cool. How did people, people cook, cook before? People before Harvey. I anticipated that was what you were going to say. <laughs> this is awesome. Thanks, buddy. How'd you come up with the name Harvey? It's an acronym. It stands for hearing and reading virtually everything, yo. Step one, prepare your mise en place. Obviously, I was going to do that. I mean, um, once I looked up what, what mise en place means. I anticipated this. So here is a definition. Mise en place, French for putting in place. It means setting out all the ingredients before you start cooking. It helps you cook like the pros. Peel and mince four cloves of garlic. Okay, um, but Harvey, define... Mince? It means cut into very small pieces, like half a grain of rice. Ah, yes, I knew that. On it. I love this thing. It's so cool. Okay, while you're doing that, I'm going to do some more detective work on what aliens might eat. I've got the perfect person on the line. Her name is Allison Enright. She studies cool things like astrobiology and biogeochemistry at Rutgers University. Hey, Allison. Thanks for taking the call on short notice. 
No problem. What's up? Well, let's just say, hypothetically, aliens existed. And let's just also say, hypothetically, they were coming to your headquarters in like 20 minutes for dinner because they heard you talking about serving them food on your podcast. What kind of food should you be serving, hypothetically? Molly, are aliens coming over for dinner in 20 minutes? Maybe a little. We just want to know if aliens did exist, would they even eat food at all? Does all life have to eat? Yes, everything needs an energy source to live. Okay, so they probably eat. Maybe we should start there. How exactly does food give us energy? So when we eat food, we put it into our mouth and it goes into our stomach where we secrete digestive juices that break that food down into its chemical components. Then as it travels through our small intestine and into our bloodstream, those chemical components are delivered to individual cells. Okay, so our cells get energy from chemicals in our food. What specific chemical is it that we eat to get energy? We eat carbon in the form of sugar. Sounds delicious. So once that carbon is in our cells, how do our cells turn that into energy? They fix the carbon in place, they rip the electrons off. Okay, pause. So Allison just mentioned electrons. What are those? Well, carbon is made of tiny building blocks called atoms. So am I, so are you, so are trees, rocks, and pretty much everything. These atoms are made of even tinier particles called protons, neutrons, and electrons. Electrons are super cool and a big part of how electricity works. As we know, electricity is a form of energy. So Allison, you're telling me that our cells actually take the tiny electrons from carbon to get energy? Exactly. Transferring electrons releases energy, and the cells harness some of the energy released from that electron transfer to provide a power source. At a cellular level, that's, that's pretty much what's happening. Okay, so as long as something has electrons to spare, it could potentially power cells. But just because something can be food for one life form doesn't mean all life forms can eat it, right? Right. So is there anything that simply just can't be eaten at all by any life form? Pretty much anything that doesn't have available electrons, they wouldn't make very good food sources. An example of that would be like argon gas or helium because they just don't have any electrons to donate and they can't accept any. Okay, so aliens could potentially eat lots of stuff, but no helium or argon gas. We'll keep those off the menu. Now, here on Earth, there are tiny life forms called microbes, and they eat some pretty crazy stuff. I heard scientists are studying these microbes because they could help us understand what aliens might eat, right? Yes, we're finding organisms deep within the Earth's crust. We're finding organisms at extremely high temperature and pressure conditions, and they're thriving. I think an example of one of the most extreme microbes on Earth is Deinococcus radiodurans, and it can tolerate dehydration, it can tolerate extremely low pHs, so very acidic conditions, as well as cold, and it actually eats radiation. Hold the phone. Radiation? How is that even possible? Uh, well, there are electrons that can be released during the decay of radioactive, uh, radioactive substances, and they can be used by some bacteria as an energy source. You are blowing my mind. So basically, life can eat all kinds of things. There's no way to know what an alien might eat. Well, an alien who managed to make it to Earth is going to be pretty smart and pretty evolved because they would have had to develop better technology than we have to even get here. So that alien probably has a pretty good idea of what it needs. If it was friendly, I would get out of its way and let it, let it find what it needs. 
That makes sense. Well, we can still offer them a good meal, and if they can't eat it, at least they'll know we tried. Thanks for the science, Allison Enright. No problem. Good luck with your dinner party. Cut the broccoli into small, bite-sized pieces. Use the florette, or the top part of the broccoli. You got it, Harv. Hey, by the way, if you want more recipes like this one for beef and broccoli stir-fry, head to americastestkitchen.com slash kids. There you can sign up for the ATK Kids newsletter. You'll also get hands-on activities and information on their upcoming cookbook sent straight to your inbox. And speaking of inboxes, ours is full of excellent questions like this one from Rosalia. My question is, how does gum stay chewy and why doesn't it dissolve in your mouth like food? We'll answer that at the end of the show in our moment of um. Plus, we've got a special shout out for all the kids who send us their drawings, mystery sounds, questions, and cool ideas. It's the Brains Honor Roll. You can join too. Just send us something by going to brainson.org slash contact. You know, we would love a drawing of this epic alien dinner party. What will the aliens look like? Did Mark put out fresh flowers? Is Beyonce there? It's your imagination. You can draw it however you want. Cut the steak. First, cut with the grain into long strips. What? Uh, Harvey, please explain what you mean by... Grain? The steak will have little lines in it. Cut the same direction as those lines. The strips should be about two inches thick. Ah, I see. I, I, I don't really eat meat, but you know, for the aliens, I'm willing to prepare anything. Then, cut those strips across the grain cutting them into pieces about the width of your pinky finger. Got it. Um, hey, Harvey, what if the aliens don't eat meat? You could use tofu. What if they don't eat tofu? Either way, I'll eat it. Keep going. Okay, I'm on it. This is Brains On. I'm Molly Bloom. And I'm Mark Sanchez. I got the table all set for the aliens. What's next? Well, Sandin's working on the stir-fry. Everything's coming together. Maybe we should kick back with a little mystery sound action? Mystery sound. Oh, man. I am so into this idea. Hit me, Molly. Here it is. Okay. Any guesses, Mark? Well, I'm going to say, since we're talking about food, that this might be food-related. Mm-hmm. And the thing that comes to mind that is squeaky like that is, for me, is celery. Hmm. Does it have to do with celery, maybe? That's a really excellent guess. We'll stick around. We're going to be back with the answer in just a bit. I'm getting hungry. Prepare the sauce in a medium bowl. Add one tablespoon water, two tablespoons soy sauce. Put down your tablespoon. Now grab your half teaspoon and measure one and a half teaspoons cornstarch. One and a half. Okay, uh, that means three of these half teaspoons. Got it. Now take your quarter teaspoon and measure out one quarter teaspoon of baking soda. Now whisk it together. 
I know the best way to whisk Harvey. Learned it from my friends at America's Test Kitchen. Side to side, not round to round. Here we go. Now, add sliced beef into the bowl and mix it around so it's coated. Doing it. Let the steak sit and now make the rest of the sauce in a different bowl. Okay, let me just grab a bowl. Pour in one quarter cup hoisin sauce, two teaspoons chili garlic sauce, and one quarter cup water. Whisk it up. <laughs> I love whisking. Ready to start the stir fry. Get a 12 inch nonstick skillet. Got one. Mine's purple. Pour in one tablespoon of oil and let it heat up over medium-high heat. This should take about one minute. Why is there cornstarch and baking soda in the sauce anyway, Harvey? Cornstarch helps thicken the sauce and the baking soda gives the beef a very smooth texture. Huh, that's, that's really cool. Add beef to skillet. Cook, stirring occasionally for a few minutes until beef is lightly browned. <laughs> you know, I actually know why beef turns brown. I learned it in the heat episode of this series. It's thanks to the Maillard reaction. You are very smart, Sandin. Aw, thanks, Harvey. Okay, so while we're busy finishing up our extraterrestrial eats, let's hear more ideas from you about what to serve aliens. I would feed an alien pizza because pizza's hot and if he was from Venus, Venus is hot, so you'd probably like it. What I would feed aliens that came to Earth would be pizza. You could put a lot of food on it, so it would give them a chance to taste a lot of different foods. And a lot of people like pizza, which means that they can kind of get a grip on what humans like in food. I would feed aliens cooked spinach because it's slimy and I think they eat slimy stuff. And I would feed aliens soup because it's sloppy and I think they would like it. I would feed aliens sundubu chige, which is a Korean soft tofu stew. I love this stew a lot. This stew has a lot of textures. It is soft, the tofu, soupy, the broth, and chewy, the meat. I think aliens would think it is interesting. And what I would give the aliens is fruit so they can taste and know all the fruits that grow in Earth. And what I would give the aliens to eat is Indian food because they have many different spices and it's yummy to eat. We think that the best food to share with guests on our planet is bread. It represents how humankind was able to grow into civilizations. When we learned to farm grains, our species went from hunter-gatherers to an agricultural people, allowing us to spend less time trying to find and catch food and more time for other things, like listening to podcasts eventually. Thanks to Eli, Dorothy, Kaylin, Nora, Mia, Matthias, and Benjamin for those yummy-sounding ideas. Speaking of yummy... Turn off heat and transfer beef onto a plate. Roger that. Now return skillet to stove. Add broccoli, garlic, and hoisin mixture. 
turn the heat back on and stir occasionally for about five minutes. That is starting to smell delicious. You know, one way to think about feeding aliens is to try and imagine where they're from. Scientists have actually found distant planets that might be capable of supporting life. But what kind of life, and most important to us, what would that life eat? To help us think this through, we've got Diana Dragomir on the line. She's an astronomer with MIT. Hi, Diana. Hey, Molly. Uh, I would love to think about what aliens might eat. Great. So besides a random fact sent to a podcast show, do we have any actual evidence that aliens exist? Yeah. So just to be clear, we haven't yet found any aliens on other planets, but we do think they're out there just because life forms so easily on Earth. So we think astronomers think that life would form pretty easily on other planets as well. Gotcha. So you study far off planets that orbit around other stars. How does that work? So we use very uh, big telescopes, also very small telescopes sometimes, uh, to look for planets around other stars. Some of those telescopes are in space. Some of them are on top of mountains. Most of them are probably as big or bigger than your house. And that's how we detect those planets. Now, uh, when we look for planets that might host life, we start from the idea of what is life here on Earth, because uh, that's all we know. So we look for planets that are the size of the Earth uh, and that have the same temperature as the Earth. And if possible, they have a star that's similar to our sun. And we have found a few planets that seem to be similar to the Earth, but we have also found hundreds of planets that are very different from the Earth. So then we got really excited about that because, you know, maybe not all life in the universe is like life on Earth. And maybe you could have life on those crazy, crazy planets. What kind of planets are we talking about here? So, for example, um, some planets that we found are, are very, very hot lava planets. Other planets that we found are planets around two stars. And if you watch Star Wars, then that's kind of like the Tatooine planets. So those uh, planets have two sunsets, two sunrises, sometimes like a one and a half sunrise, uh, all kinds of weird stuff going on in the sky. We also have planets around very, very small stars compared to, to our star. Planets that could be ocean planets, so just water all over the surface. Um, a variety of planets, and among all of those, a few that are like the Earth. These planets around distant stars, they have a special name, right? Right. So planets around other stars are called exoplanets. Exo means outside of something. So those are planets outside our solar system. We've started finding exoplanets 20 years ago. And since then, we found about 5,000 exoplanets. A lot of them. Okay, so given what we know about these exoplanets, how should we be thinking about what to serve aliens? So I would think a little bit about where they're coming from. Like, where do they live now? And if they're coming to Earth, uh, how might that be different from the place where they live now? Um, so, for example, if you had a really, really hot planet that was like molten lava all over the place, we found lots of those, uh, everything would be vapor. So aliens would actually have to suck their food out of the air because nothing would be solid. They wouldn't be able to like eat with knife and fork. So I may want to find a balloon for them and maybe put some vaporized food in it for them to suck out. Very interesting. So what about if they came from a planet covered in water? So you could think about that a little similar to the lava planet. Um, and we're, we may actually be more likely to find aliens on an ocean planet because it's a little, we think it's a little easier to live there than in extremely hot temperatures. Uh, and there, uh, aliens may take all of their food as smoothies or um, kind of like whales do. They always take in a lot of water with their food. 
So that would be a little easier for me. I probably would just want to blend whatever food they like into a smoothie. There are planets that we're finding that are very, very cold. Uh, and probably a lot of things on those planets are solid and even frozen. So my guess is those aliens are eating a lot of frozen dinners. So they better have good microwaves. Do you think we could visit one of these planets in our lifetime to see if they have life? I don't think so. Even the closest planets to us are still uh, several light years away. And what that means is that if you were able to travel at the speed of light, it would still take at least a few years to get there. And we don't yet have the technology to travel at the speed of light. Uh, even if we did, you would have to worry about what's happening to your body and all kinds of weird things uh, when you're traveling at the speed of light. But there's a lot to do from the Earth and from our space telescopes. And I think that's going to keep us pretty busy. Well, thank you so much, Diana, for helping us think this through. Thank you guys for having me on the show. See how that stir fry is coming along. We're almost ready for the finishing touches. Is the sauce thickened and the broccoli tender, Sandin? Why, yes it is, Harvey. Then add steak and juices from the plate back into pan and give a stir. Cook for one minute. That smells so good. Should we have made noodles or rice to go with it? Maybe next time. We don't have a lot of time, Molly. And besides, who knows, the aliens might be on like a low-carb diet or something. Okay, they should be here soon. I think it is ready, Sandin. I think so too. Thanks, Harvey. You're welcome, Sandin. You know, Harvey, I really lo love you. I love you too, Sandin. Uh, uh, I was I was gonna say I really learned a lot. Oh. I mean, I mean, I I I love you too, Harvey. This is awkward. Powering down now. Okay, food is ready. Table is set. Robot parts are in the robot parts bin. Only one thing left to do. Let's revisit that mystery sound. Here it is again. Okay, Mark, any new guesses? I am kind of stumped. I don't know. I, I, I guess I'll stick with celery, but Sandin, do you have any guesses? Well, I have two guesses. I think it's either someone pulling saran wrap out of a saran wrap container, mm -hmm. or maybe, have you ever drawn a face on a balloon? It kind of sounds like somebody drawing <laughs> on a balloon with like a marker. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, it's like a twisting of a balloon, kind of a balloon animal thing, too. Uh. Yeah, maybe it's a balloon animal. Oh, those are... All very, very good guesses. Here is the answer. Hi, my name is Scotty Say from Columbus, Ohio. And that sound was the sound of me shucking corn. Shucking corn is when you pull off the husks plus the silk that's around the corn. Shucking corn. Ah, oh, shucks. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a really good sound. Yeah. Have you guys shucked corn before? Yeah, I love it. You know, we just got some guinea pigs and they love to eat the corn husks. Well, that's great. Whoa. That's like the best recycling you could imagine. I know. It's compost, in-house composting. But wait, guys, we are getting way off track. What time is it? Well, according to my watch, it's been 30 targloseks. The aliens should be here right about... You think that's them? You think that's the aliens, guys? And yes, it's us, the aliens. Hello? 
All right, guys. Ready to make contact? Yeah, totally. I am so ready, Molly. All right. Here we go. Dinner is served. All life as we know it needs a source of energy to survive. We get our energy by eating food and breaking it down into chemicals that help power our cells. Some tiny life forms, called microbes, can even eat radiation. Scientists are using powerful telescopes to find planets in distant solar systems. We call these exoplanets, and we've found thousands of them. They are too distant to travel to, but scientists are finding other ways to search for signs of life. That's it for this episode, and we are going to sit down for dinner with the aliens. Harvey, your turn. Brains On is produced by humans known as Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom, with help from Jacqueline Kim and Lauren D. They would like to thank Sam Chu, Caitlin Kelleher, and Denzel Bielen. Plus, extra special shout out to the Solar System's finest food folks, America's Test Kitchen to get out-of-this-world recipes and activities for young human chefs, head to americastestkitchen.com slash kids. Now, before we go, it's time for our moment of um. My name is Rosalia from San Diego, California. My question is, how does gum stay chewy? And why doesn't it dissolve in your mouth like food? Hi, I'm Julie Cornfield. I'm a professor of chemical engineering at Caltech in Pasadena, California. So I study polymers, which are long molecules. They're the stuff that makes your skin elastic. It's the stuff that stores your genetic information. And chewing gum is made of polymers, and they make the gum very elastic. It comes from the sap of certain trees. For example, chicle in Latin America comes from the sapodilla tree. And the spruce tree makes spruce gum, which was used by the Wrigley family. So these long chain-like molecules can take different forms. They flow out of the plant as a liquid, but kind of a gooey one. And uh, at that point, the molecules are still individuals. They can move past each other. They can take a new shape. And that's why if you swallow chewing gum, you'll be able to pass it through. But if you tried to swallow a rubber ball, it can't change shape. And so it'd be very hard to pass through. So how does that happen? You start with these same very stretchy molecules, but in the case of the car tire, the rubber band, you link the molecules together. So if you could imagine a chain with 10,000 links in it, you end up creating something that would be like a spider web. So if you think about a car tire, it's essentially one really big molecule. That's very different than the chewing gum, where you're just deforming the molecules, chewing, making them change shape when you press down with your teeth. But they are insoluble in your saliva, so you can chew gum all day and it won't dissolve. The flavoring in it dissolves. Everybody complains about that. Uh, but the gum itself, it'll just stay elastic and chewy all day. Molly, my battery is running low. Can you take over for a minute? Coming. Thanks, Harvey. 
I'm going to chew through the latest group of fans to join the Brains Honor Roll. These are the awesome people who power our show with ideas, drawings, mystery sounds, and questions. You can join them by going to brainson.org slash contact. Here they are. Charlie from Houston, Noelle from Arlington, Massachusetts, Liam and Dahlia from Calgary, Alberta, Kendall from Baldwin Hills, California, Micah from Skokie, Illinois, Kevin from New Westminster, British Columbia, Esme from Richmond, British Columbia, Thomas and Anthony from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, Thalia and Daphne from Georgetown, Texas, Alex from Houston, Andrew from Toronto, Jean and Olivia from Richmond, Virginia, Abigail from Boulder, Colorado, Liam from Brooklyn, Ontario, Eric from San Diego, Adam from Grand Rapids, Michigan, Dorothy from Northfield, Minnesota, Ava from Tampa, Florida, South from Danville, California, Nolan from Cupertino, California, Elijah from Tallahassee, Florida, Harper from Crystal, Minnesota, Harper from Oakland, California, Colin from Phoenix, Sophia from Lake Arrowhead, California, Bodie and Pax from Honolulu, Eleanor and Winifred from Glen Ridge, New Jersey, Zayad from Mercer Island, Washington, Alex from Dallas, Tali from Vancouver, Jaxer from Philadelphia, Eleanor from Naperville, Illinois, Brendan from Pittsburgh, Maxine from Richmond, Virginia, Ethan and Emerson from Grand Prairie, Texas, Lucy from Fairfax, Virginia, Liam from San Antonio, Texas, Texas, Justine from Walnut Creek, California, Josiah from Portland, Oregon, Misha from Sunnyvale, Cora from Portland, Oregon, Kirsten from Monroe, Wisconsin, Holden from Kent, Washington, and Jensen from Milton, Massachusetts. Are the aliens nice? So nice, Harvey. Come on, I'll plug you into charge in the dining room so you can meet them. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Harvey. And to all you listeners, we'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening.